Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the blessed opportunity you've given us to gather in your house and to get into your word. Help us now as we do that. As we pray in Jesus' precious holy name, amen. Continuing our Exploring a Word series in the book of Revelation, we'll turn to Revelation chapter 2. It reads, And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in midst of the seven golden candlesticks. The church here at Ephesus. All right, I've got some footnotes in my Tim LaHaye Prophecy Study Bible, where he's got here concerning the church at Ephesus, where it reads, The church at Ephesus may have been one of the first or the finest churches in the first century, founded by Paul and pastored by John for many years after Paul's death. It was a church spiritually on fire in the midst of one of the most pagan cities of Asia. Christ commended them for their good works, patience, and his endurance, and their hatred of evil, for their testing of those who claimed to be apostles, and for their labor for Christ's name's sake. All right, let's look at that as we continue. In chapter 2, verse 1, the words of the Lord where it says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars. Like we have the instructions from John in John chapter 4, in the small epistle of John, in chapter 4, where he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So John had already addressed this issue now here we see this is an issue that's been going on there, that they come in, they pretend to be Christian, they pretend to be apostles, they pretend to be something that they are not, and we need to test them, try them, not put stumbling blocks in front of them, but find out, are they who they claim to be? In verse 3, it has born and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Verse 4, nevertheless... So you compliment them, now he's addressing some other issues. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. The first love was a total devotion and dedication to serving the Lord and doing the Lord's will, rather than their own will. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent." Now, we need to understand that this applies to a church at a particular time, but can apply to churches today and, of course, individuals as well. When you backslide, because that's basically what they were doing, they were backsliding. If you backslide and become a disgrace, become an embarrassment to the Lord, there's a possibility that he'll just take you out, like he's threatening to take his church out. We've seen evidence of this in in the churches and in individuals, that they rebel, they turn against the Lord to become disobedient children, 
and the wrath of God comes upon them. Verse 6, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The overcomers, those that overcome the temptation of sin, those that overcome are those that have become born-again Christians. They will receive that, that gift there to be able to eat of the tree of life. Now going back to verse 6 there where it says that they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which he also hates. The Lord hates the actions and the deeds of Nicolaitans. Well, who were these Nicolaitans? There's a list of the original deacons that were chosen to assist in the church. Nicholas is one of those. Nicholas became arrogant, puffed up, wanted to be lifted up as something to almost be worshipped. And he brought in some evil practices within the church. First to lift him up as something special and also even sexual immoralities that he brought into the church. And that was one of the things that he's pointing out here, that he hates that somebody lift themselves up like that, something holy and special. To me, personally, I really do not like the term reverend addressed to any person on the planet. No man should lift himself up as being, revere me, I am your Lord over you, I am your shepherd, you are my sheep, attitude. That's what the Nicolaitans were doing, and that's what the Lord hates. Therefore, we need to stay away from such things. Now, the Catholic Church has gotten deep into this where they have lifted up their people as so special that they even call the Pope Holy Father, which is a total sacrilege. They would fall under this as we continue. And now we see in verse 8, the church at Samarna. Now, let me read some notes about it. Not one word of condemnation was issued by our Lord against this church. He did, however, honor and commend them for their suffering and poverty. This city today is called Izmir in modern Turkey. He was a convert of John, pastored the church, excuse me, a convert of John, pastored the church there until he was martyred in 155 A.D. And they're talking about the synagogue of Satan, where it says, Some believe this was a group who tried to pervert the gospel of free grace through faith only by requiring the adoption of Jewish law for salvation. We see this going on today. There is a Hebrew rights movement that has come in and has disturbed a lot of people trying to bring back the Jewish law into today's Christianity. It was wrong back then, it is definitely wrong now. But yet this is what he was talking about, that church. And it was a church age, a period of time which that occurred, but a specific thing that was going on that continues to go on today. So we got to watch out for such things. We are saved by grace we are saved through our faith in Jesus Christ, not through our obedience to the law. They were trying to go back and say you had to perform all the ordinances of the Old Testament in order to be a good Christian, which was false. Reese other suggest this group 
fostered the idea of apostolic secession and the building of a hierarchy of leaders, just like the Nicolaitans. They were trying to get into that same practice. That hierarchy of leaders is like we see in the Catholic Church today with the local fathers, they call them, which the Lord tells us specifically, don't call any person your father in a reverent way and such, only God the Father. And then higher up to the, the deacons and all the way up to the bishops and the priests, the high priest or however they want to identify themselves in whatever religion it might be, if they puff themselves up too much, they fall under this category. And they were doing that all the way back there and still today. All right, back up here into it again. Let's go ahead and start back with verse 8. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. This persecution came upon that church. That's the history here about that kind of persecution that come upon them. There's a lot of, of increased persecution in the first century. But we see an increase in persecution today around the world. Christians being slaughtered, even in this country, being considered hateful, being considered child abusers. But our Christian, our God-glorifying, loving people, but yet they say the opposite, which is one of the tactics of the devil. Verse 11, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. The second death. The second death he speaks of at the great white throne judgment, where there be total and complete separation from God, never to be before him again, and cast into the lake of fire. Verse 12, And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, all right, let's look at the Church of Pergamos here. Interesting one here, some notes. Pergamos was located about 60 miles north of Smyrna. It was a hotbed of pagan idolatry and was plagued by both false apostles and those who were a, in favor of the extremely powerful hierarchy of apostles and priests. The Nicolaitans, once again, going back to that. When you take an establishment and you put a religious leader in there and then lift them up as some to be almost worshipped, you are in total violation of the Word of God. Over and over. We see these churches, multiple churches, multiple church ages, all the way into today, still having that issue. Whenever any man lifts them up and calls himself a shepherd of a church, they are in violation of, of the will of the Lord. No man, no man, no way ever on earth is a shepherd other than Jesus Christ, period. Anyone who works in the ministry becomes a servant to Jesus Christ, becomes a servant to the church, not someone to lord over them, as the Word of God says. But we've seen this so much, and it is so popular for some reason, but that's what we see going on. 
Hey, Pergamus was the Roman capital in Asia and the seat of pagan authority, thus Satan's seat was considered that. And the church at Pergamus was guilty of seeking to please the society around them rather than the Lord. We clearly see that going on today, which later paved the way for the paganism of the church in the centuries that followed. One of the things that was going on is there was a temple that was built in that area, a pagan temple for the worship of the Greek gods and goddesses and primarily to Zeus and then to the other gods and goddesses. So that was Satan's seat, how he identifies it there. All right, back up there again in chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write these things, saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. Now, of course, this sharp sword with two edges proceeded out of his mouth, which means the word of God. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam was in it for the prophet, which we clearly see a lot of that going on today. Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. See, he's just over and over repeating that about that. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. It means with his word. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saveth he that receiveth it. Now this practice of giving a white stone you can go back to ancient ways when they would choose someone. They would kind of like take lots or try to figure out who needs to be chosen for a particular task. And they would take a handful of stones, a number of one for each of the people that was participating in this. There'd be one white stone in it and the rest of them would be black or some other color, but not white. And then they would have to reach in and take the stone, not show it yet, and then they would reveal the stone, and whoever had the white stone was the one who was chosen. So this is indicating that we are chosen. We are chosen. We are special in the eyes of the Lord, and that He will give us that new name. All right, now on over into chapter 2, verse 18, where it's about the church of Thyatira. Now the letter, I'll read his notes on that. The letter uh, to Thyatira, a city about 40 miles east of Pergamos, is the longest of the seven letters. This church seemed to have a woman like Jezebel of the Old Testament who brought pagan worship and gross sexual immorality into the church. The identity of the 
local woman of Thyatira is not known except that she was a Jezebel-like person. The pagan practices brought into this church typify the excessive paganism and superstitions that often influence the medieval times. Of course, continuing to today, you have churches that have opened the door to sexual immorality, that have actually welcoming it and beckoning it to come in. The churches that have posted the pervert flags, the LGBTQ, XYZ, everything else flags on their churches are part of this. They have the same kind of sexual perversions going on back then, even more prevalent, I would say, today. Being brought into the church as being acceptable behavior. We have local churches here that are actually pastored by lesbian women being the pastor of the church. So it's definitely still going on today. All right, get right into it. Chapter 2, verse 18. And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last of be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols." I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Which speaks of the mercy that the Lord has. To allow someone that is even doing something that ungodly to pervert the church to still have an opportunity of salvation. But she rejected it. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. He refers to this further on into... Revelation during the tribulation time. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Now this I will kill her children with death is not her physical and literal children, although some of them could be, but any of those that have followed her, the offspring of her behavior, efforts, and teachings, and perversions. Those will be judged and will suffer. But unto you I say, and unto the rest of Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. He's going to give us various positions of authority and responsibility and task to do during the millennial period based upon what we have achieved in this lifetime. And that's the reference to it there. Read it again. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works 
That means doing the work that the Lord has set for them to do until the end. To him will I give power over the nations. Now we know in the description as we further get into the book of Revelation about the eternal state as well. With the eternal state, with the beautiful new Jerusalem coming down and lighted upon the earth. Beautiful, big city, some 1,500 miles square with those 12 gates. And it speaks of the nations coming into those gates. Therefore, there are nations, and in those nations there is going to be a hierarchy appointed by the Lord. And this is a reference to that, power over the nations. Civilization. As it continues, And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Of course, the ruling of the rod of iron is talking about Jesus Christ. As the vessel of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I re received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Interesting writings about the churches as we continue into chapter 3. Now here we see it begins speaking of the church at Sardis. Sardis was a wealthy city 30 miles southeast of Thyatira. In the 6th century BC, it was one of the great cities of the world, ruled by the fabled Choruses called Midas by the Greeks and known for his golden treasures. However, the glory of Sardis was past, for the city had fallen to the Persians in 546 BC and to the Greeks in 334 B.C. And in A.D. 17, Sardis was destroyed by an earthquake and rebuilt by Tiberius Caesar. The church in Sardis, like the city, was in constant danger of eternal decay and collapse because everything was unstable from the previous destructions and earthquakes. It's... it's Inclusion in the seven can best be attributed to the fact that many local churches are similar to it. And it best typifies the churches that start out well but lose their spiritual fervency after a generation or two and begin to live on their past laurels. Such was the case of the denying church at Sardis. They were dying, they were denying, they were not doing the works they were supposed to do. Let's get right into it here in chapter 3, verse 1. And unto the angel of the church of Sardis write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art, and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. They were not perfect, meaning they were not doing exactly as much as they were supposed to. They were not complete. They were not full. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. 
So he's pointing out, this is a church basically dying, withering away, denying what they were, but now they are just barely hanging on. But within that, there are true believers that will be rewarded. Verse 5, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now this blotting of the name out of the book of life is not a losing of one's salvation. This blotting out of the book of life can only be considered as taking out of the presence of God in the judgment when they are taking out of life itself, physical life, reference earlier to the second death, is the judgment. To be taken out of the book of life, everyone that has ever come into a conception at that very moment, your name is written in the book of life. Not the book of life that is the list of born-again Christians, but the book of life of the existence, physical existence of a person. Now, when they get taken out of physical existence in this realm, they still have a bit of life that is their soul that is but set before the Lord in judgment. When you're removed from that, taken out of that book, that is that second death, out of there, all the way into the lake of fire, never to be in the presence of the Lord again. Because anytime you see you talking about life and death, you've got to find out, okay, are you talking about reconciliation or separation? All right, going on into the next church here is the church at Philadelphia. Read some notes on that. The city of Philadelphia was located 28 miles from Sardis. This city was founded by King Attalus in honor of his brother and is known as the city of brotherly love. It seems to have been a beautiful church, for the Lord gave them much praise and no condemnation whatsoever. So here we see one that gets compliments as we get into it. Verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7 of Revelation reads, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, and he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept, thy wor kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my Patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. This is talking about the born-again believers. Those that are true and faithful will be raptured out, not going into the hour of temptation, which is that time of tribulation. Behold, I come quickly. Now don't misunderstand the word quickly here. It doesn't mean within just a few minutes I will come. This means suddenly with speed. Behold, I come quickly. 
Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. We receive various crowns for the works that we have done in service to the Lord. Don't lose those. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right, let's go ahead and roll right on into Laodicea. we got a couple minutes here in the notes. The church was located about 40 miles from Philadelphia in a wealthy city filled with Greek culture and learning. Christian tradition points out the early relationship of Laodicea to the church at Colossae. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter which was apparently lost to the church of Laodicea. The designation of the church as lukewarm is taken from the contrasting hot springs of nearby Hierapolis and the pure cold waters of Colossae. There are no words of positive commendation for the lukewarm Laodiceans. This church doesn't get any compliments. This is the age that they say we are currently on. It's the age of defying. It's the age of rebellion. The church at Laodicea. Get right into it. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesight that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. A very good point to bring out there. He loves you, therefore he will rebuke you and chasten you when you need it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The lukewarm church, the rebellious ones, define the Lord. All these churches of the past still flow over into today's behavior of churches and even individuals. Let's pray. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you all so much for your word. It's so powerful. It's so current. It's amazing. Help us always stay hungry to dig deep into there and find that message you want us to receive and to apply it and share it with others. Thank you so much as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen.